This isn't my message, but I got a story, and I feel like I'm with family right now. So I'm looking at a Bible right now that's got some honey tea stains on Psalm 23. And I'm going to tell you the story why. I don't know why I'm going to tell you the story, but maybe somebody needs to hear this. We're away this week up in uh, Moravian Falls with the staff. And I just want to say one thing. This local church is in very good hands. The Lord has masterfully assembled a team here that nobody else in the world would ever have assembled to put together. (laughs) We wouldn't have chosen each other most days. (laughs) But there is genuine love in your leadership team. There is no pride. There is no jockeying for position. We love each other, and the Lord is continuing to bend us, not just to leadership, but all of us, into something really beautiful, because when the Lord bends us, we realize how we fit when we didn't feel like we fit before. Um, And we, we had a chance to do some intensive bending the past couple of days. Uh, I think there was like 32 of us, half of those being kids. (laughs) Oh, man. How many of you know when you got a bunch of families? Families parent different, but guess what? We all love the same. Isn't that so good? So you're in really good hands. The Lord is our shepherd, and I believe he has put some some shepherds and some leaders in this house that you can trust and who love you and who love the Lord. And uh, that has nothing to do. So we're up on, the, up on the, the trip. And I don't know what it is about cool weather, fall leaves, mountains, fireplace. It makes you want to get up a little earlier and read your Bible with your kids. <laughs> so I had this great idea. Brittany was, was sleeping. And me and Mike and May and Brennan got up. And I was like, I know what we're going to do. I'm going to get you guys some decaffeinated herbal tea. And I'm going to treat you with a little bit of honey in it. And it's going to be so good. And you're going to have your, you're going to have your honey tea. And I'm going to have my Raven's cup full of delicious hot coffee. And we're going to go, <laughs> all you Steelers fans, you can still love me. It's okay. Um, and we're going to go down on the back patio and have cool weather. And we're just going to read a real simple thing because my kids love David and Goliath, right? And I think sometimes kids get lost in the fact that David did something other than just like kill a giant. He wrote some pretty killer songs. He wrote some pretty amazing poems, right, kids? How many of you know who wrote Psalm 23 that Mr. Joel was just talking about? The same guy that was like taking out giants with slingshots was also over somewhere quiet with a journal probably or somewhere writing down some really cool things. So guys, you can kill giants and write poetry, okay? You can kill giants with your poetry if the Lord's writing with you, okay? Kids, know that about that. So anyway, back to the story. So we had this whole thing. They had their hot tea. I had my coffee. We're gathered around, and I'm like, guys, David didn't only kill giants. He wrote songs, and he wrote poems, and I want, you to, I want to read this one to you. And I said, Psalm 23, guys, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Micah May, what do you think that means? And as soon as, and she says, we don't need to want anything else. Boof, a boof happens. You guys ever have boofs that happen in your life? Brandon knocks over his entire cup of hot tea all over my Bible, all over me, all over my phone, all over the chairs, all over the thing. I spent the next 45 minutes 
getting pieces of toilet paper and putting them in between all of my pages so that they wouldn't stick together because cool dad put honey in the tea. So now I've got honey pages and I only got one verse of Psalm 23 read. I did a little bit better than the guy in Joel's story, but not much better. (laughs) I got the other half done. And I'm sitting there, man, I was like, I don't know what my face looked like to my son, but something tells me he didn't see the face of someone who knows who his shepherd is. He probably saw the face of somebody, because this, this Bible, I just love this Bible. My wife got it for me, and it's got a good bend to it. I don't know if you guys like a good bendy Bible. When you can walk around with it, and it, and it does this thing right here, it just kind of bends with you. I don't know. I just love it. It's got, it's, got, it's got notes at the bottom, but not too many notes. Sometimes Bibles have too many notes. This has got just enough notes in it that I can get a little bit, but not like go crazy. I have another Bible, but this is my, like, this is my, daily, my daily reader. And I'm sitting there for 45 minutes stewing. At this point, Brittany comes down and says, what happened? <laughs> I was trying to read my Bible to go over fall, cool tea, coffee. Ah! It was this amazing moment that seemingly got ruined. And I'm seriously with toilet paper. Indivi- I mean, these are the real thin pages. Even if, if you see right here, when I wanted to go do the first page, I didn't know how delicate it was, but you can see this page. It's got a little tear in it, but it didn't tear the psalm. It just teared some of the little footnotes. Isn't God good? And I'm putting it, I mean, if anybody woke up, I think uh, Vic was there and Lonnie was there. Right in the thing. I don't, I don't know if they heard the commotion. So I'm in there, individual. I mean, I, I probably use half a roll of toilet paper. Take it, toilet paper. Toilet paper. We got 45 seconds of Bible reading in for 45 minutes of toilet paper page placing. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. It was like literally we got out one verse and then I spent 45 minutes and then I take my Bible, wrap it all up. Once I've got paper towels and toilet paper and I sit it by the fire and I'm a stewing, I'm stewing. I'm like, look. That's why my Bible was by the fire. <laughs> you, hold on, you wonder why it was by the fire, but not why it had a half a roll of toilet paper in it? <laughs> what is going on? And I was just like, man. And then I'm just like, Lord, I know I probably didn't have the best attitude. My son is scarred from ever wanting to read the Bible with his dad because the last time it happened, that happened, and he has, I have no idea. How many of you know your faces tell a lot of stuff? I don't care what your words say. Your face tells me a lot. (laughs) And I know my face told my son something that day that was probably not exuding joy and grace. And I was like, Lord, how do I fix this? Lord, how do I fix this? And I think that's a good question to ask sometimes. Lord, how do I fix this? And all of a sudden I heard, I had to look it up. It was Isaiah 48. And it says, was it? the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of my God will stand forever. And I feel like the Lord wanted me to go up to pick up Brennan and be, hey, buddy, Let's try this again. So I got my toilet paper Bible out, and, I f- and, and Isaiah was completely untouched by tea. It was mainly like from Genesis up to about Psalm 23. It's got some waves and some ripples in it. Oh, But how many of you know that actually makes this Bible even sweeter to me now? It makes this Bible sweeter to me. Sometimes perfection is so boring. So, amen. Sometimes having everything the way you want it is so boring and it misses out on the opportunity to see how God wants it. Am I right? It's so good. I'm not going to chase that rabbit trail. So anyway, I said, Brendan, I feel like I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. He wanted me to know, he wanted me to tell my son, first of all, that daddy's Bible is okay. And that 
He doesn't have to carry the weight of ruining daddy's Bible for the rest of his life. How many of you know some of us carry stuff like that? I'm talking about a Bible right now, but some of us carry stuff that we shouldn't be carrying. I think we talked about it last week. We're not meant to carry these burdens. We're meant to carry the glory of God. And if the enemy can fill your hands with unnecessary burdens, you will never carry the glory of God the way you're supposed to. And if the enemy can carry, burden you down with a bunch of unforgiveness and bitterness and offense and unresolved heart issues, you'll never carry the presence into the places you're supposed to carry it. What a beautiful, that is like the worst deal ever for God. He gets all of our junk. He gets all of it. If you give it to him, he gets all of it and he gives us his glory. He gives us his presence. And I didn't want this. I think this, I think this example speaking to some of you. Paul was talking about it a second ago. Let go of it. Let go of that burden because there's no way you can carry this burden. Anyway, I'm back to the story. Um, we're going we're gonna to pray that. I just know the Lord's ministering to some of, some of you with that truth. So I sat down with Brennan, and I read that. I was like, hey, buddy, I want you to read this one thing. So we, got, we actually got two verses in. We got Psalm 23, and we got Isaiah 40, verse 8 in. And I said, I want you to know something. I don't know why Brennan likes the number 91. Everything's 91. I said, I said buddy, I'm going to kiss you in the face a thousand times. He said, no, 91 times. Okay. I was like, do you know how much I love you? You love me 91? Okay, 91 is just his number. So I was sitting, I was like, Brennan, if you poured 91 cups of hot coffee on this Bible and every single page of this thing was ruined, the word of the Lord would stand forever because it is in my heart. Not just because it's in print everywhere else in the world and a bunch of, the word of God is hidden and it's in my heart. And no amount of coffee in the world can destroy the word of God. No amount of tea can destroy the word of God because Jesus is the word, right? I love the Bible. I love reading his word. But there's stuff in here that ruining or spilling coffee on this thing can't touch. Amen? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people in the world who don't even have one of these. And I think I know where I'm going today now. I think I know where I'm going today. I'm going to read a, a really obscure story from uh, Judges. This is one of those ones that if you're doing the Bible in a year, you're like, what in the world is this even doing in the Bible? I didn't even know there was another person named Micah in the Bible that wasn't a prophet. Like, what in the world is this doing in there? So turn to uh, Judges chapter 17. But yeah, I just want to double dip on that burden thing real quick. I just feel like I need to do that before I can really move on. So yeah, again, if, if that's you or I, I know if maybe somebody, you came in late and you missed it, let's exchange. Let's, let's, let's step into this exchange, this really bad deal for God and great deal for us where he gets all of our shame. He gets all of our worry. He gets all of our unforgiveness and our bitterness and our offenses and we get his glory and we get his presence and we get his peace and we get his joy. So right now, let this be more than just words for you. Let this be the reality. Let this be heaven's reality. When heaven comes, when the kingdom of God comes, earth changes. So Lord Jesus, once again, we thank you that we in this moment, by faith, I cast this care upon you. I forgive so-and-so. I release them from the accusation. I release them from unrighteous judgment. I release them from my bitterness. Lord, take this poison of offense out of my heart. I give it to you. I want to be a carrier. 
You have designed, shaped, created me. You have bought and redeemed and sanctified me in such a way that I can carry your glory. You share your glory with me. And I want to walk and live in such a way that I'm carrying your glory. I'm carrying your presence and I am shaking off all these other weights that would so easily take me out. Just let him do it. Let the Lord speak to you right now. Let the Lord show you who and how he's doing this. Let him just do it in your heart. Lord, show me who. Show me what. Show me what you're doing right now. I just invite the Holy Spirit into this moment. You don't have to say it super loud, but I invite you to engage your vocal cords and say, I, I forgive that. I, I forgive it. I completely cut the tie with bitterness right now. It is done. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Is it good? Amen. It's, the Lord is good. This isn't just some Sunday practice. I invite you into this life, living unoffendable, squashing bitterness as quickly as it rises. How many of you know weeds are a lot easier to pull out when they first spring up versus if you give them like a year or two to go? You know what I'm talking about? If you just go ahead and pull that thing out, the same thing that I can go up to and just go, bip, bam. In the early days, that same thing, if I give it time, can literally crack a foundation of concrete if you let it go long enough. Not wild. Anyway, pluck it. Pluck them out quick. All right, we're going to read a weird story. And then I'm going to try to apply it to our lives. I, you ever read a story in the, when you get into the Word and there's just it's just weird? And I'm like, God, this is too weird to not be speaking to me right now. So I read it and I read it and I read it. I probably read this story. 20 times or more. And sometimes I would read it. I'm like, I'm just going to read it so, so I can get on to like Luke and Colossians and this cool stuff. <laughs> but I'm reading it. So we're going to read it. Uh, you know what? Let's just read the whole thing. You know? It's probably going to hit you weird, but maybe after, maybe you can glean from my 20 times of reading it so you don't have to. But in uh, Judges chapter 17, Start, it says this, Now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. He said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. Whoa! <laughs> That's juicy right there, right out the gate. Are y'all following what's happening? Who wants to give me the Cliff Notes version of what I just read? Jake, what, what, what just happened? Yeah, he stole some money from his mom, and she done cursed whoever stole it. <laughs> she done cursed. And, you know, you can read it a couple ways, but I had a feeling that she knew who took it because he said, you uttered the curse in my hearing. She wanted her son to hear Anyway, this is not even part of the story. I mean, this is not even part of where I'm going, but I just think it's funny when you read the Bible and you take your time with it. There's some, there's some, uh, some, you know, judge, man, the book of Judges, how many of y'all grew up on like Mario Povich or Jerry Springer? There is some Mario Povich, Jerry Springer stuff up in here. It's like, what? Did I just read that right? Oh, man, this is crazy. He does. Okay, sorry. It's okay to have fun, y'all. It's good. It's good to have humor. It's good to have joy. It's good to have laughter, right? Come on. If we're not the most joyful people on the planet, we lost something. It's okay. Take a minute. Laugh. Oh, my goodness. This guy just stole from his mom. 
That tells you a lot about this guy's heart, doesn't it? When you're in a spot so desperate that you're willing to steal from your own parent. Tells you kind of where uh, Micah's head and heart is at at this time. So, and he says, this came right out with it. It was with me. I took it. (laughs) And again, you have the question, like, was he even like repentant or he just didn't want to be cursed? Right? You got to ask the question. Do you think he was genuinely like, oh, man, I'm just feeling the conviction, the weightiness of God on my heart. I just got to get right and repent. Or is he thinking, oh, shoot, I don't want this curse to follow me. I don't know. You got to sort this out. Anyway. And his mother said, and, uh, blessed be my son by the Lord. Verse 3. Isn't that just like a mama? No questions asked. Man, Brendan can get away with anything in our home. He can get away. He can be just outright mischievous and just do a little, I love you, mommy. That's okay. Just don't do it again. That doesn't work for me. I love you, baby. Get out of here. (laughs) Anyway, something, something about that bond. Uh, uh, she only says you're not as cute as him <laughs> this is true oh wow this is great this is great I'm, I'm warning you this is going to get a little bit heavier in a minute but go ahead and laugh while you can <laughs> laugh while you can oh man here we go uh, he then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Oh, goodness. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who had them turned into a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. Stop right there. It's a little bit weird. I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure she said, I'm going to dedicate all. And then if you read, it says she gave 200 pieces to the silversmith. To me, there's 900 missing somewhere. Is that, is that, did I do my math wrong? Strange. Maybe a scholar can tell me more about it, but when I, on the first reading, she only used 200 of the 900. And she turned these things into a graven image and a molten image. How many of you guys are good on your, on your Ten Commandments? Anybody good on your Ten Commandments? Pretty, you guys know them? There's something in there about graven and molten images, right? Okay, here we go. To make them into a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod. This is unfascinating. I, know, I, just, I don't know where to go with this, because if you go read the story of Gideon, Gideon also got in trouble with an ephod. You have to go back and search all this out, this ephod stuff. It's like, well, what is the deal with the ephod? I had to look that up myself. But... It, it, anyway, go search that out. Go look back a couple of chapters, and you'll read about Gideon and an ephod. That didn't go so well for him. Anyway, <clears throat> so Micah now has a graven image. He has a molten image. He has a shrine. He has an ephod. He's got quite the collection of God stuff. <laughs> He's got quite the collection. <laughs> Where am I at? ephod and household idols (laughs) this list just keeps on going and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest in those days this is powerful this is a theme of judges and i feel like we have to take this word for ourselves too because i feel like a lot of people live under this same curse in those days there was no king in israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes oof we got to take a quick inventory here. This is a lot of weird stuff happening, right? I just want you, there's a reason why I'm pointing all of this out. So let's just make an inventory of all the things Micah has at this point, okay? Micah has a graven image. 
He has a molten image. Let me just stop right there. I've studied this out. It is, it's most likely, I was 99% sure that these molten engraven images were not images of like Baal and Moloch. They were images that were made to represent Yahweh. That's still not good. We're not supposed to have any images that are made out to be the, you know, who else did that? This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Remember else who created something and they said it was Yahweh? Anybody remember that? It didn't, didn't go so well for them. There we go. The calf. Remember the golden calf? Yeah, that was supposed to represent Yahweh. They weren't saying this is Baal who brought us out of the thing. They made an image that was supposed to represent God. Is this right, Paul? I believe so, too. Think about it. The guy's name was Micah. Look up what the name Micah means. These people knew God. They were doing their best. They wanted to shape their lives around, so they're creating these things. And I believe these craven, these graven images, these golden things, this stuff was to represent God, but God doesn't want to be represented by images in wood or silver or gold. So he's got a graven image. He's got a molten image. Where are we at? He's got a shrine. He's got an ephod, he's got a household idols, and he's got one of his sons consecrated as a priest. He has got the collection, and there's, and there's a reason why, I know you got your minds around this, but when I read the word, okay, I'm like, what does that look like in my life? What does that look like for me? Because I believe, if we're not careful, we can create some of these same scenarios where it's much easier to go to a stack of theology books instead of to the feet of Jesus and just be with them. There's nothing wrong with me. I, I, I even thought about bringing like all the books I have on my shelf. I've got hundreds of books. I'm an avid reader. I love it. But there are sometimes. I'm trying to get something out of those things that he and he alone can give me. And when I go to those things as my primary source, it has become a molten image. It has become a graven image. It has become something. Maybe the intent behind it was good, but God didn't create us to have intimacy with theology books. He created us to have intimacy with his son, Jesus. Those theology books are way less intimidating than completely yielding all of me to God himself. I can control how much I read. I can control the pages I turn. I can control if I don't like it, don't understand it, don't get it, no big deal, close it. I'll move on to something else that's a little bit more comfortable for me. There's a lot, I think there's a lot of things in here that we could probably identify things. I know I'm talking to myself right now. This guitar. Man, there are times I could really encounter the Lord in spending this strumming a chord or two. But there's other times where the Lord is like, I just want you to sit still and be with me. That thing has become something of an idol is becoming a molten image in your life. You're not meant to have fellowship with the guitar. You're created with the union for the Son of God. You were created for union where you don't know where God begins and where you end. It is a perfect union, an inseparable union. And it can be scary and it can be overwhelming. Every time an angel of the Lord showed up, to my knowledge, what was the first thing they said? Don't be afraid. I have never once felt fear coming to my guitar. I never once felt fear going to a book. I never once felt this fear. Nobody had to tell me, okay, you're about to touch that guitar. Fear not. You're about to pick up. N.T. writes exposition on the book of Colossians. Fear not. 
The Lord wants us to have hearts after him. What is the core value of this house? Number one, the presence of almighty God except no substitutes. Even the ones that look good except no substitute. I don't know how you go. I know how I go about that. I'm like, Lord, if this thing isn't throwing fuel on the fire of my love and my devotion and emphasizing the union and our relationship, take it away. Take it away. I got hooked on conferences as a young man in my 20s and 30s, and there's nothing wrong, again, with these things. But the Lord said, I don't want you to go to the voice of the apostles. I don't want you to go to fire and love. I don't want you to go. I want to be your conference. I'm beckoning you. I'm calling you. I'm drawing you to into something that only I can do. I've experienced God in all those places, but there's a season in my life where the Lord said, I want to be your conference. So Micah had his, had his, had his stuff. But he, gets, he, he, he one-ups this thing. So I'm just going to read that verse 6 again. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he was staying there. Then the man departed from the city from Bethlehem in Judah to stay where he might find a place. And he made his journey. He came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. Micah said to him, where do you come from? He said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. I am going to stay wherever I could find a place. Any of you all know what Micah might be thinking right now? Because what did he do with his son? Remember what he did to his son? He consecrated his son as a priest, and priests are only supposed to come from the tribe of Levi, right? So now we got a guy who is like legit priest material. You guys with me here? Legit priest material guy from the tribe of Levi. I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. I come to stay wherever I might find a place. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes and your maintenance. So the Levite went in. The Levite agreed to live with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite. So now he's added one more thing to his collection. Now he's added a legit priest from the tribe of Levi into his collection of things. <laughs> Have you ever, has anybody noticed the one thing that we haven't seen Micah do yet? What? Worship? Uh, yeah. Anybody else seen anything that Micah hasn't done yet? Talk to the Lord. Try to engage in fellowship with the Lord. There's something missing here. He's got all the trinkets, no intimacy. He's got this whole collection of really good things, and this is the part of the really, I'm going to finish this chapter, and then I'm going to expand on that. So Micah consecrated the Levite. The young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then in verse 13, you can get a little glimpse of what's happening in Micah's heart. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me, seeing that I have a Levite as a priest. Do you see it? It's subtle. The whole time, we saw at the beginning of this story, Micah was about prosperity, stealing from his mom. Now we see at the end of the story, he wants to get all these things in line, and his heart is that, oh, that God would prosper me. The Lord convicted me recently because I love to, to read about men of, and women who are 
fire-breathing, filled with the spirit, world changers. I love it. I love to read their stories. I love to share their stories. I love to talk to people about their stories. And the Lord was like, you really love to get close to the flame and get your hands warm by it, but you don't actually like to be consumed. And I would get close enough to these people. I will get close to these stories and feel the warmth of these stories. And yet the longing inside of me to be absolutely consumed was set on the back burner. The Lord's like, I don't just want you to get close to stories to people. I don't just want you to have a Levite priest that you can say, hey, I got this. I don't want you just to have a molten image and all these things that are, are good. I want you to be consumed. Don't settle. I don't care how close I get to my heroes. I don't care how many songs from the, my worship hero that I listen to. I will not burn like they burn. I can enjoy the warmth of their flame, but I have to become consumed. I have to allow the fire of God to fall on my life. I have to cry out for that, and I think there are times where I stop crying out because I get sad, I get settled or satisfied with the warmth of another. I live vicariously through somebody else's fire. You and I cannot live vicariously through the fire of another brother or sister in the Lord. The lyric of a United Pursuit song says, help me find my own flame. Help me find my own fire. You can't live vicariously through your mom and dad's fire, children. At some point, you get consumed by the Lord all by yourself. That's what we're after. I want it for you. I want you to be consumed with passion for the name of Jesus. But I can't live vicariously through your passion either. Let the heart of all that we do be union, fellowship, oneness, intimacy with God, where he is the all-consuming thing in our lives. I'll, I'll confess to you, I used to, there was a season in my life where I used to like talking about these men and women of God, these Levite priests, if you will, in my life, so that people would associate me with that person. Oh, man, Josh was talking about such and such quote. Oh, man, dude. And in my weird mindset, there was this weird trying to associate with somebody of passion while I didn't actually have passion myself. It's a trick. It is a trick that would keep us from pursuing all that Jesus paid for. He didn't pay for you to get warmed by somebody else's fire. He paid for his fire to fall on your life and consume your life and to consume your heart and to consume your dreams and to consume every aspect of your life. Romans 12 says, this is your reasonable act of worship to submit yourself, to put your very life on the altar as a living, breathing sacrifice. Fire falls on sacrifice. I cannot get consumed by somebody else's sacrifice. I have to put my life on the altar and say, Lord, here I am. That is what I want. I want to burn with passion for you. So something has shifted. Now I read these stories 
and I read the Bible, and I'm reading some amazing things about men and women, but it's not, it's not okay for me just to read it and feel like I can quote the story. Now, there's something in me that's like, I God, God, do in my life what you did in Evan Roberts, but do it for me. Do it how it looks like in me. I know you came upon these men and women. of I know you can. I know you have. I know you will, but I want it to come upon me because when I burn, it looks differently than how Margaret burns, and the world needs every single one of our unique flames to bring the light and the love of Jesus into this world. There's a uniqueness to the way that you burn that nobody else does. We have to stop and get rid or repent or even throw out some of our religious trinkets and novelties and get a hold of what we have been bought and purchased for. Put the book on the shelf and wait on the Lord if that's what he's telling you to do. The whole point is relationship with him. If I'm approaching God's word, but I, I'm like, Lord, I'm looking at you, there might be a time where the Lord will like, I just, just close it. There's mornings I'll get up sometimes, and I'm just so ready to get into the next thing I'm trying to read, and the Lord's like, chill out. Chill out. Don't just read my word so that you can tell somebody today that you spent time with me this morning. Chill out and make sure that you're actually after my heart. Make sure that your life is being consumed. Don't let this be like Micah. Oh, God. Oh, God, now that I've got the book, now that I've got my conference ticket, now that I've got the right worship set going, I've got this really cool leather imported from Israel in my journal. I got all this stuff. Oh, man, I got the, the hair of a donkey or whatever as my Bible page. I, mean, I got all these things. Now, God, now you can prosper me. No. He prospers you because of the blood of Jesus. I'm going to read one more thing, but I got to find it. <laughs> it's right, I think it's in the, in the next chapter in Judges 18. We get a little picture of, of Micah. Some stuff happens. I believe uh, some people from the tribe of Dan come, and they take all of Micah's stuff. They take his collection. I told you this is a weird story. Go read it for yourselves. People plunder him, and they take his images, and they even take his priest. He take, they take the Levite priest. I think we need, we need a priest more than you do, and we're stronger than you, so nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I'm taking your priest, and I'm taking your images. And we're going to get a glimpse into what, what happened. Hold on. i got to find it. It's somewhere in, in chapter 18. I, I don't have, I'm not going to read the whole chapter for you all, but I do want us to uh, take a look at this. Um, let's see here. Okay, here it is. Uh, let's pick up in verse 23 in chapter 18. Micah and some other guys from the city, they cried out to the sons of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you have assembled together? And he said, Micah said, you have taken away my gods which I made, and the priest have gone away and what do I have besides? Basically, he's saying, you took everything that I held valuable and dear. And his, his question is, what do I have besides these? Without these trinkets, without this man of God, this Levite priest, I am absolutely bankrupt. I have nothing What a sad state that all his hopes, all of his dreams, all of his life, the accomplishments had nothing to do. How many of you know that God never leaves us or forsakes us? And when we have intimacy with him, when we have fellowship with him, 
I don't care if you steal every Bible in my house. I don't care if you burn my guitar. I don't care if you take all my theology books. I don't care if you take away every conference I might go to. I will not look back and like, oh my gosh, what do I have? My journal's gone. My, my CD, my worship CDs are gone. My Bible's gone. All these things are gone. Oh, no, I've got this fire of relationship with God that will get me through anything that you throw at me. And I want to tell you a story that I'm going to close with. I'm reading this book called The Insanity of God. Has anybody read The Insanity of God by uh, Nick Ripkin? Amazing, amazing story. A man from Kentucky and his wife, they go to a place called Somaliland. Um, They were actually in the area where the movie Black Hawk Down was filmed. Was that Mogadishu or something? I'm really terrible with geography, I'm pretty sure. Um, Saw crazy, crazy things in the land. But then after he and his wife come back to the States, they have this other part of their journey where they start going and they like, we want to, we want to hear the stories of men and women who thrived in a place where Christianity was illegal. So they started mapping out, I think it was 45 countries that they were going to find a way into, have secret meetings with people in all these countries to, to hear stories stories that here in America would make, my wife said, I love you, honey, but please quit telling me these stories. I can't handle it. Every time I tell you, every time you tell me a story, I begin to cry and I can't handle it. And I'm like, well, this is what's going on in the world and you need to be written. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, babe. I'm, I'm, I'm now. But I'm gonna tell you a story. From one of the places he went to, uh, he met a man named Dimitri who was imprisoned in, uh, I believe it was communist Russia for 17 years. And he was telling the story of this guy. It started out with him just having two or three people in his house, had a little house church, and they would just read their Bibles. They would pray together. And the guy was like, sounds like you had a church. He was like, no, it wasn't a church. We just got together and read scripture, prayed, sang sometimes, and just made sure that everybody that was in the house church had all their needs met. Bro, that's a church. (laughs) He was like, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. It got so big that it got on the radar of the the authorities, and they're like, you got to shut this down. He's like, I can't. Like, this, this is what I'm called to do. Eventually, they arrested Dimitri, put him in jail, and stripped him of everything. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a community. He was in a prison with, I think, 1,500 other men who had to renounce God or just didn't believe at all. And he said, there was two things that got me through it. There was two disciplines that I did every day. I want you to keep in the back of your mind bankrupt Micah, who had everything taken away from him. And bankrupt Micah said, this is all I have. I want you to compare that with this man, Dimitri, who had everything taken away from him made to sleep in a cold cell, use a Porta john type toilet that doesn't flush. And he said, and the guy asked him, how did you get through? How did you, what was, was there something that you did? He said, there was two, these two things. He said, every morning at six o'clock in the east, there was a little bit of sun that would come through and I would get up at six o'clock in the morning and I would face the east with the sun on my, and I would, sing a heart song to God every morning. As he began to sing every morning, the 1,500 men started cursing him, laughing at him, ridiculing him, telling him to shut up, telling him that he's going to get in trouble. The, the, the guards would, tie, from time to time, just beat him, but he got up every morning. No band, no guitar, no Worship leaders saying, bro, give it your all today. 
I know you've been in jail for nine days, but stand up, man, stand up. No, he stood himself up to honor his God. He stood himself up eating one piece of toast a day. He stood himself up shivering himself to sleep at night. He stood himself up and sang a heart song to the Lord every morning while, actually, it wasn't the opposite. He had no cheerleaders. He had people telling him to shut up. He had people laughing at him for his song. He had people telling them what they were going to do to him if they got a chance when nobody was looking. He stood up and he sang a heart song to God. That was thing one. Thing two, every, every time the Lord allowed it, anytime he saw a piece of paper, a scrap piece of paper, anywhere he could find one when he was doing it, have that chance, he would take that scrap of piece of paper and find something, I, I can't remember how, but he would find something to write on this little scrap of piece of paper Every Bible verse that he could remember, he would write it. He would write Psalms. He would write stories of Jesus. He would write everything that he could. He would fill up that piece of paper, and he said, right outside of my jail cell, this was my my best offering to God, there was a a pipe that came down, kind of like this one behind us, and it had a, a little leak on it. And because of the, the, the moisture, he was able to stick that piece of paper filled with Scripture on the little pipe outside of his room. He stood every morning and sang a heart song and he wrote the word of God on as much as he could. Can you imagine? That went on for seven years. Would never break, never broke, never broke. And then one day, the guards said, um, yeah, I think I went on for 12 years, actually, 12 years. Never broke, and eventually the guards came in and said, your God isn't who you think he is. Give up. Your wife has died, and your children are scattered. You'll never find them because there's no way to know where they're at, and your wife has died. And he said in the interview, I was I was broken. I was, I was broken at, at 12, after 12 years. I was broken. And I said, bring me the paper. I'll sign a confession. I'll just say I was, a, I was planted here by the state. I really don't have real faith in Jesus. After 12 years, all he had to do was sign his name to a confession, and he would have been released. And they said, we'll come back tomorrow. We'll draw up the paperwork, and we'll have you sign it. That night, as he was praying in his cell, He says that the Holy Spirit allowed him to hear the voice of his wife and children as they prayed a thousand kilometers away. He heard the audible voice of his wife and children. The Holy Spirit did that. The guards came in the next morning. They said, we have your confession ready to sign. And he said, I'm not signing that today. My God allowed me to hear the voice of my wife, and she is still in Christ. And so are my children. I will not sign that. In a fury, the guard pulled him out because he wasted their time and they were taking him down away where they take the people to be executed. And on the way out, he said he heard the most amazing symphony he had ever heard in his entire life as all 1,500 men in that prison began to sing the heart song that he had been singing all 12 years. The guards looked at him as the men are singing this heart song. And they look at him. They say, who are you? And he says, I am a son of God. And his name is Jesus. 
They had no authority to kill him, but they were trying their last ditch effort to break him, and he wouldn't break. Three years later, he was released, and he was reunited with his family. How many of you think Micah would have made it in prison 12 years? I don't think Micah would have made it. But my man, Dimitri, he made it because he had something real. He had his own fire. He wasn't living off of the fire of someone else. Later on in that book, they asked the question, how can you make it through? How do you prepare for prison? How do you prepare for... And the answer that the Chinese said is, you can only grow in prison what you take in there with you. You can only grow in persecution what you take in there with you was their answer. I'm not I want to make sure that I have my own flame when things start shaking. We are surrounded by a lot of trinkets. We are surrounded by a lot of Christian novelty items that will not stand up if persecution hits our lives. I guess the point of this message is to implore you to ask that the Holy Spirit would stir up a fresh desire, a cry within you to say, I want you and you alone. My soul thirsts for you and you alone. My theology books cannot satisfy the thirst of my soul. All these things in my life cannot satisfy the thirst in my soul. And I got news for you, not even revival can satisfy the thirst in your soul. He and he alone. All the money in the world obviously will never satisfy the thirst of your soul. Make him the one, the one passion. I encourage you to cry out to the Lord for hunger if you're not hungry for him. I encourage you to cry out to God for a flame if you've been living vicariously through the flame of other people. I encourage you to cry out to him for a thirst for his presence that nothing else can satisfy. I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to search you and ask you, is there anywhere in your life where you have settled or accepted a substitute for his presence that is not him? The Holy Spirit loves to answer those prayers. Is that good? Let's pray together. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Let's invite the Lord. I will leave you with this last analogy. There are certain things in life that you cannot put on hold when it's inconvenient. I remember when Micah May was coming into the world, she showed up a month early. A month early. My daughter came a month early. There was no, excuse me, little baby girl. You can't come out right now. We got, we got stuff to do. This is, a, this is a terribly inconvenient time for you to come. We had this whole thing planned out. We knew you were coming, but we thought we had another month. The presence of God is the same. When the presence of God comes, you can't say, hold on for a second. I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready. I mean, this is a terribly inconvenient time. When we ask for it, when we cry out for it, it very well might come at a time, that fire might come at a time that's terribly inconvenient for you. Do we desire him or our convenience more? Do we desire him or our comforts more? I can tell you what, my, my trinkets, my novelties, my things, I am in complete control when I pick them up and when I put them down, but I have no control whatsoever over a move of God. And when it comes, it comes, and you hold on. And you say, yes, Lord, here I am. Bend me, 
consume me. Nothing else really matters because I rearranged when Mike and May came. I told all my contracts, sorry, I can't work. So I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. I'm just giving you this as an analogy. I cannot do everything I thought I was going to do because my baby girl is coming and she came when I didn't expect. I guess I say that to you as a warning. <laughs> we will not control the fire of God. And I think that's the appeal to our trinkets. We can control them. I can control how close or how far I get to other people's fires, but I cannot control when I get consumed. Come on. This, this, this is a question that you have to wrestle with. This is something that we have to ask ourselves as a body, as an individual, as a father, as a mother, as a son, as a daughter. We have to ask ourselves this. Lord, we come willing to wrestle with that question. We come willing to ask you, Holy Spirit, to stir in us a passion for the name of Jesus, to, to stir within us a desire to be consumed to shake off, to make us completely unsatisfied with any other trinket or substitute in our lives, God. That we would arise and that we would have our own heart song like Dimitri, that we would have our own resolve within us, that we would have our own flame within us that overtakes us, that keeps us joyful through the trials, God, that makes the captives around us begin to sing the same song that we're singing, God a fire within us that gets us through every valley and disappointment that we can still go through those things with joy because there's something burning on the inside of us and it's you, it's your spirit, it's your life, it's your presence, it's your glory. God, we want that. I want that for me. I want that for my wife and my children, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus.